Okay, no more M&Ms. No more. No more. No more. Okay. <laughs> You're going to eat more. Mm -mm. No. I'm going to throw it far away. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, do you know that they are opening an M&M store in effing Disney Springs? I read that somewhere. Why would you do that? But I forgot I forgot about it because I just wanted to block out. I'm like, I love M&M's as much as the next person, but like, holy shit. Like, also, come like, on, people. It's Disney. Like, I hate the M&M store wherever it is, but it being in Disney is so insulting to me. Yeah. I'm why like, w w w Why would we need to buy M&M merchandise? Why? Yeah. We go to a Ghirardelli <sighs> store, but we don't walk out with Ghirardelli merchandise. No. And you know what? To be honest with you, that I would buy. <laughs> it's finer. They start selling some. It's finer chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Well, like, a, I don't know, a Ghirardelli, like, baseball hat? I don't know. <laughs> It'd be kind of sexy with the eagle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your eyes that's just what I'm got saying. really big. It's classy. <laughs> You were like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I would wear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, fuck Eminem store. Welcome back to Poor Unfortunate Podcast. I'm Connor Perkins. And I'm Caroline A. Metty. And here we are, back again. Happy October. Happy October. We're here. We made it. The leaves are changing. Pumpkin the wind spice blows a little bit colder. And we're all getting older. Yep. Yeah, so after this episode, the next time you're going to hear from us is when we go on our Sleepy Hollow trip. Our annual Sleepy Hollow trip. We'll have we'll have done that, and Twill have been amazing. <laughs> Caroline, what is going on with you? What is new? Tell me all of the Disney things. It's been a hard week in Disney Newsland because there was the huge layoff of all of the Disney cast members. Twenty eight thousand. Do I have that number correct? Twenty eight thousand. Mm -hmm. I. They made that announcement the same night as the first presidential debate. And oh, like they were talking about it ahead of the ahead of the debate. I was watching on NBC and they were mm. like, you know, at, we just keep talking about how the economy is like doing better than ever. But yeah, some things are moving along, but the longevity of it is not sustainable mm -hmm. of where where we're in right now because we're not actually combating this virus in any sort of meaningful way. We're just sort of like learning to mm -hmm. deal with it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know that we we <laughs> we ask y'all for a little bit of money if you have it on here, but um, there's also an account. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook and Venmo. That's called Cast Member Pantry. If you have a few dollars, it just it's like a fund for all of the laid off cast members to pull from if they need to buy groceries and other necessities like that. Yeah, that one's hand. hard because it's just like they were there. They were working. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. And, and it's Disney, so people genuinely yeah. love their jobs. It's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. They're the people who make the happiest place on earth the happiest place on earth. Mm -hmm. And they've done so much for us that it's only fitting that we, if we can help, do stuff for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That wasn't a fart. That was me in my leather chair moving. Liar. It sounds like a fart. That's what they all say. It's not a fart. <laughs> it's not a fart. I don't think I've ever... Heard you fart. I I don't know if I've let you hear it yet. <laughs> That's how I feel about me too. I'm like, I can't let him hear that. I'm like, there's sometimes where like in the morning where I just like couldn't help it, but I'm like, <laughs> I think she didn't hear it. <laughs> That's kind of like a we've lived together for how many years? Four years. Four years. We've heard each other <laughs> we far in a tiny apartment. That doesn't make any sense. In a tiny apartment. We we <laughs> What a feat. 
we're just so considerate too. Like we're super big on we're just like poopery. Oh, like yeah, like oh, we gotta do the spray, do the spray. Don't hear, <laughs> let her hear my fart. We spray like, the poopery, then we spray afterwards. <laughs> I mean, it was very annoying to me that that bathroom did not have a little like a little fan. Come on. <laughs> no, it had nothing. What other Disney things are happening? Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of other Disney news. Um, I watched the Boo to You parade on YouTube because, you know, I wanted to get in the Halloween spirit. But anyway, I've been singing ever since I watched it, I've been singing, it's good to be bad. It's good to be bad. Well, they play anyway. that They play that during the Villains Cavalcade, yes, too. Yes, they, they, I love that cavalcade. I love it. I think they, that they did the best they could with that, and I enjoy it. Yeah. Though, it's weird that they have, um... What's his name from Meet the Robinsons? I am was going to ask you about that. Why? Like, they did they have that like sitting around in the warehouse and they were like, let's bring that like, out for fuck a spin. It, send it out. <laughs> Cuz as we're going to talk about, I mean, there are so many fantastic villains to choose from and I, I don't even know what his name is. Goob? What? Bowler hat guy. Ridiculous. I'm sorry, he's not a Disney villain. I mean, he he is, but he's like I'm like, we have the bowler hat guy and we don't have... Have, like, where do I even begin? Yeah, I know. I don't really have any other news. And I'm also getting that anxiety feeling about the subject like like I did that a couple of episodes ago. Um, No, it's going to be okay. Okay. All right. So this week, it's a a rant and rave. Uh, And Caroline, do you want to share with everyone what we've decided to theme this one? Yes, indeed. Um, So we wanted to keep with our sort of spooky Halloween-ish feel. Um, We're vibing real hard. uh Uh-huh. We just, woof, this is our time to absolutely thrive. Um, So we are going to rant and rave about two specific Disney villains. I feel like there should be like a thunderclap now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the way that we're sort of approaching this is uh, I'm going to rant about a villain that I think is overrated or just plain sucks. And then Caroline is going to rave about a villain that she thinks is underrated or is a villain that's like kind of a great villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All righty. Okay. So let's do this. Baby. I guess I'm just going to get I'm just going to go right on. Yeah. In. Yeah. All right, so the villain that I think is overrated, and I, I honestly I don't I feel like overrated is probably the wrong term for this villain because I don't really feel like many people give him the time of day mm-hmm. because he just like kind of sucks. Like he oh, does. Wow, I'm really that surprised that this is who you chose. No, he kind of sucks. All right. Like. I don't really have anything against him personally. (laughs) But you should. That, you should. (laughs) But, like, he just, he just doesn't do it. Like, he just doesn't cut it. Wow. And this is why. All right, I'm willing to hear you uh, out. I'm willing to hear you out. Okay. Hans from Frozen. He just doesn't make the cut. He doesn't make the cut. All right. And I think that there's, like, there's a couple of reasons. And so I've sort of, like, broken my, like, thesis or whatever into... Two sort of facets. So I'm going to look at the design slash the story, like how he's actually structured himself. And then I'm going to look at like Hans, the character, and just looking at like Hans, the things that he wants, the things that he goes after, like that sort of thing, and like how Mm -hmm. successful he is. Okay. Because we're nothing if we're not efficient as villains. And and Connor loves to read people on their effectiveness. So if you're if you're not effective, you're useless to me. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so from a story design standpoint, I'm going to start here. Okay. Hans suffers from a complete lack of foreshadowing. And here's the thing. So if you're going to hide the villain from us to make them the, the a big reveal at the end, fine. That's totally valid. Like, it, definitely do that for plot reasons. But we need to see glimpses of it. Like, we need to see him do things that don't make sense to us until the context changes. Like, we need things sprinkled in throughout the movie so that we can see him do things that we're like, huh, that's kind of strange. Or things that we don't even register. But then when we have a rewatch of the film, we're like, oh, my God, he was doing that. Oh, my God, he was doing that. And, like, we could see that he was operating under his plan the entire time. And that doesn't happen with Hans. He leaves us no clues 
There are no hidden actions on his account. And by everything that we have up until the point where he is like, if only there was someone out there who loved you. <gasps> by all accounts at that point, he is an upstanding and supportive stranger. He's fine. He's a good guy. And Isn't that a tip-off like, in and of itself, though? Maybe not. Well, here's here's my thing, okay? So if we have no other place to look and everything that we've established about him is that he's a good guy, we have to either accept the rules that the world is building that he is a good guy or rely on our own cynicism to say no one's that good in order to navigate the shift. Hmm. Like, that he's a villain. And either way, I think that's a big fuck you because either it's like, surprise, we just made him the villain and you had no way of possibly knowing it or surprise, he's the villain and you should have known that nobody's that good of a person. And it's just sort of like, no, come on. It's surprising and unexpected in the same way that I can sit here recording this podcast and then a car falls on me. Oh, like (laughs) nothing would indicate to you that that was a possibility. And then it happens. Fuck you. Oh, no. That's my big, like, beef that I've got with Hans in terms of, like, as a character, they did him dirty, like, to be the villain because they didn't set him up for success there. So that I don't necessarily put on Hans. I put that on the story. Mm. So I, for this, cracked open my Art of Frozen book. Okay. Because I was like, I know that they talked about Hans a little bit in here. And, yeah. So I pulled this quote from Bill Schwab, who was the character design supervisor, and he said the biggest challenge designing Hans was to make sure we covered all aspects of his personality while never fully tipping our hand to the audience, unquote. Okay. Which, yeah, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I also think that the animators were trying so hard not to give away his turn that they left us with almost nothing to navigate that term. So... In terms of, like, the design of the character, they definitely hit all the marks with the princely and mannered side of the character. But truly, aside from his sideburns, which can make a character feel more suspicious or shifty, (laughs) and then the gloves to kind of say, like, oh, he's hiding something in the same way that, like, Elsa's hiding us. Like, there is nothing else that we can see that links the design of both of the Hanses. It's just sort of, like... An evil Hans and a good Hans, like, they could be twins just existing in the same costume. And, like, we see the design of good Hans in bad Hans, but we never see any of the bad Hans elements in the design of good Hans. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's a possibility that that could mean he's, that's why he is a good villain? Because it's, like, him not showing his hand at all? Like, he's a great actor? No, because I'm going to get into this later. He's not that smart for this. Oh, okay. (laughs) I do not think that he is that smart. Oh, got you. So I think much of the problem with Hans as a villain, plot-wise, stems from the fact that he was never intended to be the villain of this story. So as many people probably know, and maybe you don't know this, originally Frozen, the villain was supposed to be Elsa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was supposed to be the next big supervillain from Disney. And as they continued to write the story and grow it and change it, the animators started to fall in love with Elsa so much so that they were taking her side and that the story completely changed into that she became a second protagonist of the film. Mm -hmm. So in that event, they had to figure out, okay, what are the, what's the conflict of this story and who's the villain? That's so interesting because not with the villain, but that similar thing happened when they were writing Wicked, which is like Glinda was going to be a secondary character. And then, yeah, everyone fell in love with her and she became the second protagonist. So interesting. Yeah. Well, and here and th- this is this is kind of my like big thing with the with the plot and with Hans being the villain. The Duke of Wesselton and Elsa were enough for this story to cover the villain sort of thing. Elsa's internal struggles were enough to create a sustainable, complicated, and interesting conflict throughout the film. And I would put to people who would be like, mm, wait a second, you need a you need an antagonist. I put to you Inside Out. Inside Out is a film with no antagonist. And mm-hmm. it is beautifully executed. Conflict does not rely on an antagonist. It relies on incidents that might antagonize the protagonist, but not necessarily one person. 
And I think there's enough struggle in Elsa to carry the film. And the Duke of Wesselton plays a better foil to Elsa in that he's the personification of her fear. Like, he stokes the fears among the people. He is everything that she expects the world, how the world will react to her in a way Mm -hmm. that Hans isn't. So that's why I feel like the two of them are better suited to each other in terms of, like, the conflict of the story. But even then, the biggest Mm -hmm. conflict of the story is not just Elsa accepting herself and learning to love there, but also willing to accept love from someone. And so I feel like when you throw in, like, Hans as your villain, it sort of introduces this other sort of thread that's tertiary to it that doesn't really matter. Yeah, I just think Hans's power grab at the 11th hour is a cheaper way of putting Elsa in an imminent danger sort of situation at the hands of one unexpected person who could be punished at the end. I felt and I think that there's just a little bit too, there's too much of a cavalier attitude towards Hans in terms of Hmm. structuring him in a way that befits a Disney villain. Wow, I didn't really expect to get like that worked up, but <laughs> like made me angry because I'm just like I, I feel know, like they I did see. him. I feel like they just did him a little dirty. Like, well, because it's weird because you going into this, I'm I'm kind of like no, I like I really like what they did, but it's interesting because it's like yeah, like I don't I don't ca- he is the villain, but I don't categorize Hans as a Disney villain. He just doesn't. Yeah, no, we yeah. don't think of him as a Disney villain because he just like doesn't really check a whole lot of the boxes. That we would want from a Disney villain. And How like, did you feel yeah, when I'm, you when you first when it like the first time you ever saw Frozen and that reveal happened? It really got I loved that because they got me. I mean, and I know that I you're mean, saying they, it's because they it was badly done and they didn't foreshadow it at all, but they got me good. I, I mean, they got me like everyone, everyone was like shocked in the theater. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's that's fine, but I don't think like shock and surprise is the same thing as like a successful turn. Okay. I'm I'm very opinionated. And I'm a person, I love Frozen. I liked it when it came out. I don't really have a whole lot of things where I'm like, I hate Hans. I just think he's a suck villain. Like, okay. he's not a good villain. All he has right. a lovely singing voice. He is very well. He such a good song. Well, oh. He has a great song. He was very well animated, very well voice acted. Like, his design is cool. It just, like, in terms of... In terms of executing his role as mm-hmm. villain, okay, not so great. And so now I'm going to get into like Hans himself. And so like putting all of those sort of like foreshadowy things like to the side for a moment. Like let's look at Hans in terms of like what he's setting out to do and how he achieves it and how successful he is. Mm-hmm, okay. So in terms of his motive, his motive I think is very unclear so in his in his moment where he has the fake true love's kiss sort of moment with anna Mm -hmm. you know he does his villain monologue and whatever and he says that he had no prospects of becoming a king in his current line of succession so he knew that he has to marry into power so his intention from the start of the film is to come to arendelle to woo and marry elsa okay that's his motive not very villainous, to be honest. Like, there's probably a whole bunch of other people who were coming to do that. Mm-hmm. So, okay. like, there's not a whole lot there where I'm like, okay, that's kind of dastardly and evil. The flaw of this is, like, he doesn't really know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> like, he doesn't know that Anna is a thing at all until he meets her in the boat. And he's like, oh, a younger sister. Hello. He doesn't seem to have a whole lot of insight into the actual history of Arendelle and the two sisters. Like, it doesn't really feel like he's done his research. Like, if he's going to... You're so good. You're like, Hans didn't do his research. He didn't do the homework. He didn't do the homework. Oh, my God. If he doesn't have a couple pages printed out of a Google (laughs) Doc, he he doesn't deserve to be a Disney villain. Like, he doesn't seem to... He doesn't seem to know, really, the, the, the kingdom that he's trying to take over. Like he doesn't he doesn't know, like, okay, the doors have been shut for a whole lot of time. And therefore he sort of relies on the fact that he can pit these two sisters against each other once he starts talking to Anna and learning about her relationship. 
And see, he sort of banks on the fact that all sibling relationships are the same. Like the way that he interacts with his his siblings are the same way that she interacts with her siblings, where it's like people can fight but still love each other. So I feel like that's the flaw is that he doesn't really know what he's doing in terms of like achieving his goal. And also, okay, so if his original intention is to woo and marry Elsa, fine. But also his intentions for the trip change wildly. And I feel like we're just supposed to accept that because he comes to marry Elsa. And then on the same day that he arrives, decides, okay, I'll marry the younger one and become a straight up murderer and kill the older sister. And it just feels like that's like quite a jump. We never see the jump happen. Maybe but he's maybe a sociopath. That's like, you know, I don't he, know. He's kind of like a psychopath. I feel like that's a psychopath way of going about things. I, I get that. Though I feel I feel like that's a that's kind of a stretch because like he doesn't really. I don't know. He's not Ted Bundy. Like <laughs> maybe he is. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not smart enough. He didn't do his research. <laughs> My God. And also, like, assuming that he's a psychopath, I feel like that relies on us as an audience member to, like, fill in the details and make this peg fit in this hole. <laughs> as opposed to being like, you could have given us, like, a little bit here and there. Like, in his conversations with Anna, like, let's build out that sequence a little bit. Like, maybe he shares a little bit with her. But he's just, like, giving her nothing. He's like, yeah, that sucks. Also, going with his motive... We never really learn why power is so important to Hans. Like, why does he want to be a king? Are the other brothers in his family following male. a similar? Well, sure, but like, are other members of his family like doing the same thing? Like, oh. are the other like eleven brothers who aren't king? Are they also like going around and like taking over hostile taking over? Oh God, these, that should like, be a spinoff. Other kingdoms. <laughs> but I guess that's the, that's the series. That's the TV series. <laughs> The sev- the hostile takeover of the Southern Isles. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, did something happen in his childhood that makes him want to, like, prove himself? I don't know. We have just such sparse details of his actual backstory. And for a villain who we are not saying is evil just for the sake of being evil, like Maleficent or, like, the Evil Queen, where it's just, like, she's evil and she's, like, that's why she's evil. He's someone who where it's, mm-hmm. like, we see him, like, be a good guy and then like shift it. We need a little bit more details into the backstory. If he's going to turn into a villain or reveal that he's a villain after playing the good guy, I think we deserve to know a little bit more of why him being the youngest in his family. I feel like that just doesn't cut it because it's also just like, then why isn't every youngest Royal following the same path? Now let's look at his actions. Okay. So his decision-making is hella flawed okay it's not calculated at all and more often than not he takes actions that are counterintuitive to his goals so all of his actions that he takes prior to the true love's kiss scene are good he takes care of arendelle's citizens he leads a search party for anna he doesn't let elsa get killed by the hitmen he implores elsa to not be the monster that they think she is None of the abo- of those actions help him in his goal to take over. But wait, but say, that helps okay. him gain favor him with helping, the people of Arendelle. I feel like it's smart. Him helping Arendelle's citizens, for sure. But leading the search party for Anna, like all that stuff, like it's not in his interest because he's already in charge. Anna leaves and she is in charge. He doesn't have to go out. He could send people for her. He doesn't have to be the one to do it. And then he rescues Elsa just to have her, like, die later at his hand. I, it just, it feels like he's pursuing his goals in a way that makes it a bit more complicated for himself. I'm wondering, adaptive, and I know that you think would, he's not smart enough, but do you, th- I always thought that it was, like, when he saves Elsa from the hitmen, uh-huh. that it's, like, he's kind of banking on this hope that he's, like, I can make her think I'm a good dude, and she will be more willing to actually fully like abdicate which she never really did she just ran away but fully be like i'm never coming back here you seem like a decent guy i'm out see I, but i feel like she had like she already resigned herself to do this she was like i'm peacing out i'm i'm out of here for good like she mm-hmm. tells that to anna like yeah she's not coming back mm-hmm. so i'm like i feel like to to pursue her in that sort of way is like 
not helpful. It's like, why are you going to like get in contact with the person who's thrown you're trying to steal who left? Like, let I him feel go. Like that's another psychopath thing. Like, that's what a psychopath would do. Or it's just stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think his his adaptive behavior is just completely. But I feel like in all of these like psychopath like true crime stories, the psychopath will do something where you're like, "Whoa, that put you at risk of your whole plan going up in flames." But you decided to do this really risky thing anyway. I feel like that's a psychopath. Like th- that's what they but do. See, I also, it's like. It's, it wasn't part of his plan because his plan was just to woo and marry Elsa. And so it's already shifted. So, like, this wasn't even part of his plan. Maybe he's adaptable and that's why he's a good villain. <laughs> but see, this is no, I think his, his adaptive behavior is completely inconsistent because, okay. like, one of the best traits as a villain is to be able to adapt your plan very quickly and, like, successfully. And so when he learns about how desperate Anna is for love, He directs, he adapts, okay? He directs his attention to her. But then he doesn't look to foster the rift between Anna and Elsa in any particular way. Like, he just sort of, like, lets, like, I'm like, I would want to, like, calculate those pieces and move them farther apart and, like, egg Anna on and, like, all of that sort of stuff in order to get Elsa out of the way. Like, it would be much more interesting if, like, he played more of a role actively in the explosion that happens in the ballroom. Mm, Okay. Where instead he's just sort of like, we're going to get married. And she was just like, you're not going to do that. And then the fight is between Anna and Elsa, which is fine. But like, it doesn't feel like he helped that when that would have very much been in his interest. Okay. Also, Elsa leaves and... He lets Anna go after her, but when her horse returns and then he leads the search party after her, that's that's something that like doesn't really compute with me. He's already like the hero of Arendelle. They're loving him. He's like, I've got blankets. I've got grog for you. Like, come into the castle. Like, I'm taking care of you all. Like, they're like, fuck yeah, this guy's awesome. Like, the other two ladies, like, they didn't do shit for us. So Mm. he doesn't, I feel like he doesn't really need to prove himself to be the hero of Arendelle. Like, he's literally just like, here's a blanket. And they're like, we love you. So (laughs) I think he's fine. He's doing fine. But he leads the search party. And I'm like, she literally on her, like, departure says, I leave Prince Hans in charge. If Elsa or Anna never come back ever he wins Mm -hmm. like he got the throne but instead he's like no i'm gonna go after them and try and like bring these ladies back into the kingdom i'm like why okay yeah they're gone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like if if the whole point of what you're trying to do is like for them to be gone don't try and bring them back yeah and then he literally sees men trying to kill elsa which is on his to-do list at this point and he stops them (laughs) So that he can bring her back to the kingdom and do it himself. Which, like, again, the Arendellians, they think that he's doing a bang-up job. Like, he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to be like, look, here's your evil ice queen. I'm going to chop off her head. I'm like, you could have truly gotten off scot-free. You could have let these hitmen kill her. Then you could have, like, dragged their asses back to Arendelle and be like, these people killed the queen. I'm going to hold them responsible because that's what Princess Anna, God rest her soul, would have wanted. And then people are like, hell yeah, stan Prince Hans for life. And it would have been fine. But instead he's like, no, I want to kill her. (laughs) Um, That just feels childish. And then he learns that Anna is dying. And then he monologues his entire plan and his adaptations to her when he knows that he's really close to actually realizing his plan. But then he doesn't bother to make sure that Anna is fully dead with this information. (laughs) Stupid. Amateur mistake. He just leaves too much room for error in every action. It's sloppy. It's more complicated than it needs to be. Just let the people do the dirty work. Like, when you see something going your way, like, don't actively get in the way of it. He relies too much on chance, like, with Anna's death, and then Elsa's attempted assassination in her castle, and then her execution. Like, hello, 
her ice hands are open for business here. <laughs> like, no. Make sure that her hands and her ice powers are, like, under control before you... Wow. Stupid. Wow. Wow. So in terms of successes and failures, and, like, God bless him, he has a knack for turning wins <laughs> into losses. <laughs> and then also, he doesn't have a villain song. So I know. I feel like that's a, that's a, that's a notch against him. I was talking with my friend Rachel, and she was like, where is his villainous love is an open door reprise? And I'm like, yeah, where is it? Oh, oh yeah. And so the, finally, my little last little moment is, who wore it better? Oh, <laughs> King Candy slash Turbo from Wreck-It Ralph <laughs> follows a very, very similar arc oh as gosh. Hans in terms of he is a villain who is part of the grand reveal at the end uh-huh. of the film to be the villain. But the clues that he was the villain were there the whole time. Like you see him messing with the code inside the game and you're like, wait. That's kind of odd. Like, what's going on there? But we don't fully understand what's happening. Afterwards, we're like, oh, he was making sure that he's staying in power. Him being a racer, we're like, that's a nice little clue there. It's like he's doing exactly the same thing that the Turbo guy that we learned about. Him being a part of a newer game, but knowing the story of Turbo, Mm -hmm. that's another little clue. So, like, his journey... Is very much like a foil to Ralph's in that Ralph is like also. Hans to King Candy. I am not okay. Because they're the same. I'm not okay. <laughs> but like King Candy and Ralph, they are opposites of each other, but like moving in the same direction. Like King Candy wanted to jump a game in order to like live forever and all of that good stuff. And take over. And Ralph wants to leave a game so that he can experience being a hero. So both of them are doing the same thing, but for different reasons. So they complement each other in a really good way. In the same way that I thought the Duke of Wesselton compliments Elsa. King Candy has a better reveal that he is a villain than Hans does. And it really just comes from the fact that we could have seen it coming, but we didn't. As opposed to, we didn't see that coming. Because there was no possible way in hell we could have seen it. Okay. Because they hid all of those clues from us. All this to say, again, Santino Fontana, he's great. I don't really have a whole lot of problems with Hans. I'm like, he's like a fun character. A villain? Hmm. No. Okay. All right. I think he falls. I think he falls very, very short. Oh, that. I mean, that. I get it. My feelings are a little bit hurt, but I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, what what's your defense of him? No, that's the thing is like, I'm not, I, I <laughs> there's not, no, it, it's, I, yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like he just doesn't measure up. I enjoyed the fact that we got a villain who was younger, who was like a good looking, like suave guy and not suave in like the Dr. Facilier way, just like straight up, like normal person. You know what and I mean? He's charming. It, was, it was fun he's for kind. me. He's kind. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, he's a really, really nice guy. But yeah. He's well, I just, I, I guess person. I think it's maybe it's like I connected on it, like on the level of like me as like a female, of being a straight female. I'm like, sure. I've met this guy before. <laughs> like, Sure, where it's like, oh, this is a really, really, this is the guy that says all the right yes. things and looks like he's right, but at the end of the day, he is just a, as much of a piece of shit yeah. as anyone else. <laughs> I did enjoy I'm that. Like, yeah, like I think I think that's great too, yeah. but I also feel like those guys that we see in real life who are like lovely, everything seems like it's together. We still there are still moments that there we are red like, flags s- that we have the red flags, and we didn't really get any red flags with with Hans, other than the fact where he was like. I want to get married, too. Mm-hmm. But no, I get that. Like, I think that that's important to see for sure. That it's like, oh, the perfect guy could also be, like, the worst. Yeah, I respected sure. that they made that statement. But yeah, no, I see what yeah. you're saying. I do. And I, I actually, I, I see what you're saying that in that the Duke of Wesselton and then Elsa's internal struggle could be the conflict of the movie. But I actually did enjoy that it wasn't just her internal conflict. But yeah, we could have gone further. Well, yeah, because I think they wanted to like give, so Elsa's got her conflict and the Duke of Wesselton compliments that and then Anna's got her conflict Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I guess Hans is supposed to be Yeah, right, right. I was thinking of that before. Mm -hmm. But I feel like 
they make Hans, they start blurring the lines at the end where it's like Hans is then the he villain becomes the to mega both villain. of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I don't think that he really earned it. I would have rather seen a partnership between Hans and the Duke of Wesselton where the two of them actually like divulge their plans to each other and like team up. Interesting. There were other things that could have been teased out, but I think I think one of the things that served Frozen not so well is they expedited their their timeline like frozen got pushed up mm-hmm. and so a lot of things a lot of time that they usually would have been afforded to figure out with that movie they lost some time okay and they had to sort of make decisions pretty quickly and like that's also why we got the trolls as the way that they were okay all right all right all right all right that's hans where he just he doesn't measure up to to villain status for me hmm And I think calling him a villain is what is overrating him. I think we are overrating him by calling him a villain. Oh, Hans. No, he he can remain in his Southern Isles getting his face full of... Horse shit. Of horse shit. (laughs) (laughs) That does prove to me a little bit that he's not as, like, good of a mega villain because we didn't have to completely kill him off to subdue him. No. And I feel like we should probably have to. Yeah, no, we had to punch him in the face yeah. to subdue him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All righty. So I have got the rave today. Yep. And I had a really hard time choosing a villain. I have a soft spot in my heart for a lot of Disney villains. To be completely honest, I was going to do Yzma. I was her last Halloween. I love Yzma. Your Yzma costume was, like, incredible. It was so good. I, and I was just so much fun to, like, this is so corny as shit, but, like, it was fun to be her. Like, you know what I mean? We have to, you have to put that photo in the in the Poor Unfortunate Fam. Oh, yeah, I will. I will. I was very proud of People that costume. You have to see that. Yeah, that was really fun. Um, I love her, but I wasn't feeling it. And so I was like, you know, I think there's like a case to be made for Mother Gothel being an excellent villain. And we don't really get enough of her in the parks. And she's underappreciated. That's my rule of thumb. If if they're a villain and they're not in the parks, they're probably underrated. Except for Han. Yes, which leads me to the villain I ended up choosing who is most definitely not in the parks. So I have chosen to rave about Judge Claude Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes. So I believe that Frollo is the closest Disney has come to pure evil villainy. Mm -hmm. And I think Disney should be applauded for that. Of course, Frollo is based on the character from the Victor Hugo novel. So they had somewhere to jump off of. We will discuss this later, but he is very different from the the Frollo in the novel. Very different. Disney Disney really surprised me because this is the first time they've taken a character from source material and we're like, they're not really evil enough. Let's let's amp this up a little bit. And I really believe that Frollo walked so more psychologically nuanced villains like Mother Gothel could run. Because that was going to be my whole thing about Mother Gothel. Like she's just like Frollo. Neither of them rely on magic. They're just regular old people. And that's what makes them great villains. But Frollo is really, truly in a league of his own. A lot of other Disney villains take joy in villainy, but Frollo is so cracked that he thinks he's the only righteous person in the world, in a world that's full of sin. Yeah. I mean, so that's terrifying. And he is tormented when he starts to sense sin within himself. I also think that, I mean, Quasimodo is so gorgeously written, drawn, voiced. I mean, the whole movie is. (laughs) I just went down a whole hunchback (laughs) deep dive today. I, I'm obsessed. I mean, I'm obsessed. Hunchback is just such a it's good movie. It's so like, good. Just, it's perfect. It gives you the it's feels perfect. like nothing else in Disney. It is very, very special. That opening sequence is oh my gosh. one of the best yeah. opening sequences of a movie, I think, yep. ever. Just like the, oh my God, the music, the the, the chanting. Oh my gosh. I mean, so sophisticated. <sighs> um, And so obviously, like I said, Quasimodo is fantastically written and drawn and voiced and so is the whole movie. But I think one of the reasons that this movie is such a gut punch is because Frollo is such a good villain. He is pure evil. So Quasimodo defeats evil he perseveres against pure evil mm-hmm. and so frollo so frollo's goal his motivation is cleansing the world of sin um and so and then when he finds sin within himself he unravels and yet it's it's interesting yes he dies at the end of the movie you know in a typical disney way where it's like sort of at the hands of the hero but the hero didn't directly kill him so the hero can maintain their you know clean soul 
Mm-hmm. But ultimately, sure. So sure, it's, you know, fighting Quasimodo that he dies. But Frollo destroys himself. And I find that to be incredibly spooky, along with the fact that he is not like other Disney villains. He's not an outcast who's like, you know, like Scar or like Ursula. He's not an advisor. He's he's someone that people are forced to obey. He has power and he has authority. And he doesn't have to raise up a demon army or become a dragon. He already has soldiers at his beck and call. He is in power already, which I find very terrifying. Mm-hmm. And he can inflict pain with words, too. Uh-huh. Like, with yes. words, written decrees, mm-hmm. and the power that he holds over Quasimodo through yes. his words, too. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, the, I, speaking of that, the first thing that I want to talk about is the writing. But before I do, I just have to read off Frollo's list of evil deeds. This is all in a 90-minute film. These are all of the evil things he does. <laughs> So, Frollo kills Quasimodo's mother, and then to try to absolve himself of doing that, he says that God works in mysterious ways. Then, he almost throws baby Quasimodo into a well to die, which BT dubs, that would poison the water system in this period in France. So, wow. Obviously, he locks Quasimodo up and psychologically manipulates and abuses him for years. He allows Quasimodo to be humiliated at the Feast of Fools to teach him a lesson. Uh, He's straight up racist. He considers gypsies vile and compares them to vermin and bugs. He burns an innocent family alive in their home after accusing them of harboring gypsies, which they were not, and then tells Quasimodo that Paris burning and all these people dying is his fault. He sentences Phoebus to death. He lies to Quasimodo about ambushing the Court of Miracles in order to trick Quasimodo into going there and has his guards follow him. He... Starts burning Esmeralda alive. Never mind everything else that's going on with Esmeralda, which we will get into. Mm-hmm. Um, he t- and, and while this is happening, he ties Quasimodo up and forces him to watch her be burned alive. He threatens and throws aside an archdeacon in like of the church. Oh my gosh! Um, and he tries to literally stab Quasimodo in the back and has no respect for the sanctuary of the church. So, you know, just to name a few things. So, really, I mean, no other Disney villain has done this many things in one film. It's It's quite a resume. Yeah, like, wow. It's quite a resume to not be included on the Boo to You float. Yeah, but I have something very specific about him being in Boo to You, and we're going to get there. It's so funny you said that. (laughs) Um, So, in terms of the writing... Um, the screenplay of Hunchback of Notre Dame is by Irene Mechie, who we have talked about several times. Irene! We love you, Irene. <laughs> hey, girl. Tab Murphy, Bob Zudiker, Noni White, and Jonathan Roberts. So claps to all of them. Um, and uh, Don Hahn, who's one of the producers, said that Frollo was partially inspired by um, Eamon, who was played by uh, Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List. In the novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Frollo is the archdeacon, so he's not the um, minister of justice like he is in this. And Disney, you know, stepped him a little bit further away from the priesthood so that they didn't have any backlash over that. I I get it. Fine. Fine. I think also that Disney does a good job of, like, they backed him away from the church, but also, like, keeps him very, very, very close oh, to the church. Oh, backed. So, yes. Yeah, so, in the novel, Frollo is the archdeacon who takes Quasimodo in voluntarily. Out of the goodness of his heart, he's a religious man. So Disney was like, nah, we're going to make it be that Frollo is the reason Quasimodo does not have a mother because Frollo kills her, you know, sort of indirectly, but he kills her um, because he is hunting this group of gypsies who are trying to come into Paris illegally. Um, And we are introduced to Frollo even before we see adult Quasimodo. So Frollo is the one who makes this entire story happen. Like, mm-hmm. he, we just solidify him right off the bat. And it's it's just, like, a really strong entrance. He makes everything happen. And and in the same way, I love this. He is the nemesis of not just Quasimodo, but he's equally Esmeralda's nemesis as well. Like, a lot of times in Disney movies, like, the villains are to, like, let's say the prince. The villain is a nuisance. Like, you know, to Prince Eric, Ursula's kind of a nuisance. He's going to have to fight her at the end of the movie. But that's really, Ursula is... Ariel's nemesis. But yeah. Frollo equally tortures both Quasimodo and Esmeralda. And he spurs and on... And eventually Phoebus. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And every citizen of Paris. <laughs> and that too. And Frollo, you know, he spurs on Quasimodo singing out there. And he spurs on Esmeralda singing God Help the Outcast. Because he's like, stay in here. And as soon as you step foot out of Notre Dame, I'm going to get you. 
I feel that he's he's much more twisted and nuanced than other Disney villains. We're going to get into the fact that he believes that he's righteous and that's the main reason why. But it's also because he he wants power like a lot of other Disney villains for sure. But he wants it over races of people. He wants it over women. He wants it over his own sense of lust. He also is just written... Like, he gets to say, like, such delicious words. He's just beautifully written. Like, he says licentious, like, in a Disney film. It's just, it's it's <laughs> wonderful. And his final line before he dies is, and he shall smite the wicked and plunge them into the fiery pit. Like, you guys. And then he falls into the fiery pit because <laughs> God did exactly what he said. <laughs> yeah. Um, And I think the perfect, I mean, I think it's all summed up perfectly in Hellfire in his song. I think it's the best villain song. Sure, it's not as, like, fun as other villain songs. Like, you, Poor Unfortunate Souls is so fun. But Hellfire is... Hellfire is incredible. <laughs> it's it incredible. Is, it is incredible. And also, like, I feel like you can't you can't divorce Hellfire from Heaven's Light. Like, the two are just, like, uh-huh. inextricably right. linked, like, always. Yeah, which is and beautiful. It's just, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I, I know. It, it's... I don't know how... I don't know how Stephen Schwartz I got know. all of this I out know. of his pen. I but know. it's... It's truly remarkable. It's, it's And apparently Stephen Schwartz was very instrumental in shaping Frollo as a character, just from a writing perspective, not just in the music. And I'm like, it. makes perfect sense. It's amazing. So Hellfire, yes. I think it's the best villain song in the game. We've got Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz. I mean, already so great. So first of all, he's singing the song to the Virgin Mary. I mean, in an animated Disney film. Excellent. The counterpoint <laughs> melody of the song is we don't really, we don't ever call this in my church, is the confitior, is that how you say it? It's the I confess prayer, like from the Catholic church. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that's what it was called. But that is the counterpoint melody of the song. And so in this song, we truly see into his mind, we see Esmeralda dancing, and then we see the horde of terrifying, faceless, monk-like people who are judging him, which is like an incredible visual in and of itself. But this is a reference to the Catholic Inquisition. And so... What this would mean, too, is that I think this is just absolutely incredible. This really made me geek out. This means that Frollo's fear is appearing sinful, not the sin itself per se, because he still is like, if Esmeralda will say yes, then like, I want her. So mm-hmm. he's still like totally so much willing so, to... Even at the end, where he's yeah, just like, he tries if you're r- with me, right I won't... He's like, I will not kill you if yeah. you want to be with me. And don't we know in literature... But he's, he will only say that, like, under his breath. He will mm-hmm. only say that in private. But he would yes. never do that in public. Yes. Because, you know, the whole... You know, in the Catholic Inquisition, like many other Inquisitions, it's about what, what you appeared to me rather than what you actually were. And so I, you know, don't we know in literature and in films and in real life that some of the most terrifying people are the people who just appear pious and appear, it's its terrifying to me. Um, and so he comes to the conclusion over the source of the song that the devil has made sin and lust and evil like too strong for one man to endure. And so in that case, it's got to be on Esmeralda. So she either needs to become Frollo's or she needs to burn. He literally says, choose me. Or your pyre. That is so deeply upsetting to me. And when Connor and I were deciding which villains we were going to cover, I said to Connor, I'm like, I just like, he's the the most evil villain. But it's hard to, to be like, I enjoy his villainy because it is deeply disturbing. Mm-hmm. And I just love that the ending of the song has he says, God have mercy on her. God have mercy on me. <laughs> I yeah. mean, oh, so... I think another part of Frollo's success is the voice performance by Tony Jay. Oh, I my mean, God. This man was a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. That is exactly who should be playing Frollo. He's this man also has played Shylock. Monsieur Dark. <laughs> and he's Monsieur Dark, which is how he got this job. And this is like a rumor, but I would totally believe this. Allegedly, he beat out Patrick Stewart, Derek Jacobi, and Ian McKellen for this role. <laughs> like, I believe it. Yes, sir. He's perfect. And Tony Jay called playing this role, his bid for immortality. And it totally shows. He's oh, giving his everything. Whoa. Like, he is yeah. acting it like a real Shakespeare performance. Like, this man has played Shylock. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and, and I think his performance... You can hear it. You can feel yes. it. Oh, yes. You're like, this is a Shakespeare actor. God bless. And I think his voice performance is what prevents Frollo 
from becoming so disturbing that it becomes unwatchable because there's this really, again, disturbing but beautiful, like, vulnerability in the voice performance where we see moments of weakness in Frollo that prevented from being, he's, like, cold and terrifying 100% of the time. And I I think that's all Tony J. It's absolutely stunning. All of the Mm -hmm. the voice work in this film is absolutely beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. And then I quickly, I just wanted to see, I have seen a stage production of Hunchback, the musical, like the stage musical. It was a while ago. And so, number one, okay, I'm not condoning bootlegs. But right now, we're in a very difficult time. People need theater. There is no theater. So just so you know, there is a full (laughs) video of the Paper Mill Playhouse version of Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is as close as it got to Broadway. The quality is incredible. And um, yeah, just yeah, just know that. <laughs> and Patrick Page plays Frollo, so you're welcome. Which, again, <laughs> is exactly as it should be. Thank it's you. It's <laughs> exactly as it should be. If you don't know who Patrick Page is, Patrick Page plays Hades in Hadestown. Yeah, he, and is another great Shakespearean he, actor. He's, he's incredible. He's, he, yeah. he, was, uh, he was Scar in The Lion King. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's, he's perfect. Mm-hmm. He's perfect. He's perfect. And I think the um, the additions that were made to Frollo in the musical are a testament to really, I mean, he's fantastic in the stage show as well, but it's really a testament to what a wonderful job they did with him in the animated film. Because number one, not that much had to change. And number two, I find that he is slightly softened in the stage version. <laughs> and wow. in the animated version, they just go for it. Like in, in, the, in the stage version... The prologue is actually um, all about Frollo and his brother, Jehan. And so they're orphans and they get taken in at Notre Dame. And like Claude is the pious brother and Jehan is the you know, mischievous one. And he eventually gets expelled from Notre Dame when he's caught with a gypsy woman. So Claude, you know, rises up in the ranks of the church and becomes the archdeacon. So in the stage show, he's back to being the archdeacon mm-hmm. again. And on his deathbed, his brother, Jehan, gives Claude his deformed child, who is, of course, Quasimodo. So... Uh, Claude feels like this is a test from God and he doesn't kill Quasimodo and he's like, I'm going to raise him. So it's like, we're trying to, <laughs> we don't, we don't make him a murderer at the beginning of the show. And now like Quasimodo is his nephew. So it's like something that like, it's a situation that he, that kind of got forced on him to make him a little bit more sympathetic. And in the stage show, he allows Esmeralda to stay in Notre Dame and is encouraging her to, to save her soul. It's just like it's it's not as as sudden and there's not as much of a power struggle in the musical between Esmeralda and Frollo, which I feel like in the animated film is really what sets him off when right away Esmeralda's like, I'm not listening to a word you say. And he's like, what? Which like makes him angry and simultaneously turns him on, which is super terrifying. Um, yeah, so I was gonna jump a bit into everything going on with Esmeralda and why it's like no other, we don't get this adult and deep with any other Disney villain, not even close. It's kind of disturbing to talk about. I don't really need to talk about it that much. I find it very pretty upsetting. Um, but one thing that I found was interesting that he says to Quasimodo when he's like, you know, stop protecting Esmeralda, he says, gypsies aren't capable of real love. And, you know, this, this idea is what torments and unravels him. So either he <laughs> believes that this is true and that gypsies are not capable of real love and he gets this sick pleasure out of knowing that and knowing that he'll never be able to get that from her. Or he doesn't believe that. He believes that they're capable of love and he just can't bear the idea of being rejected by Esmeralda again and over and over again. Yeah, That's just deep. That is some yeah. real psychological, that's deep stuff. <laughs> like, that and is that a is why I will not. Movie. I will not put Hans in the same category. Okay, as well. I mean, yeah, we're going. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> oh man. So you know, every everything that's going on with Quasimodo kind of speaks for itself. I mean, Quasimodo is Romani, and Frollo hates them, uh, and wants to commit genocide and get rid of all of them. So kind of uh, goes without saying. But I I did find it interesting that he uh, he says. When he first, you know, takes Quasimodo as a, in as a baby, and then he says it later, he's like, someday you'll be of use to me. That's just, like, another level of... So it's not just, like, I, I hate you because I hate your people. It's also just, like, I'm also going to use you. I just have to figure out how. 
Yeah, and, this and is like it speaks to Frollo's who... calculatedness of like he measures people in terms of how useful mm-hmm. they are to him, kind Just of like, like how I measure people, <laughs> how effective they are. <laughs> Shit. And this is, you know, all well. He thinks he is the righteous one. He thinks everybody else is a mess of sin, and he is the only one who's right. Which leads me to, so why is he so? underappreciated quote-unquote i think we all know he's great but we don't like you said we don't see him in the parks he's not part like part of the classic disney villain lineup and here is why and i think all of these reasons are what make him the ultimate super villain so let's do this um number one purely from an aesthetic perspective he just doesn't fit the main disney villain pantheon i mean they're evil for sure but they all have a touch of something else whether it's like glamour or some kind of style like i would call captain hook in that category he's got swag you know what i mean mm-hmm. um he doesn't have any humor going for him going for him at Frollo all it's quite conservative <laughs> and there is no magic to yeah. temper the evil that's going on so he just yeah. he doesn't fit in there number one and so this is my next point Ta- speaking of the boo to you parade <laughs> i was like would i go. feel comfortable having Frollo in the parade singing it's good to be bad no number one he doesn't think he's bad. He would never sing that. He would never feel like it's good to be bad. He'd be like, you all need to burn in hell. <laughs> like, no. Also, I, would, I would pay to see that parade, too. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Yeah, he'd just destroy everybody. He's just like, I'm uh, going to kill you all because you all are wrong. Yeah. You're engaging in frolic and sin. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think especially the villains who are in the parade who sing It's Good to Be Bad, they have that element of fun and whimsy. That Frollo just doesn't have it. And that's what I love. I love that Disney was willing to go there variety-wise because they they really, they hadn't. Because even with Governor Ratcliffe came right before this, he had a mm-hmm. comedic, like, silly... He's it's a queen. It's hard to explain. He is a queen. <laughs> yeah. He is, like, straight out of a pride parade when he's in all that gold and shit like that. Yeah. Like, he is, yes. He is, yes. He yes. is on a pride float. <laughs> he is. Yes. And so we were we were definitely getting there with with Ratcliffe. We were we were walking towards Frollo, you know, world. But the same with Scar. Scar has like the dry humor that is just oh, not there for Frollo. Um and I think <laughs> Scar's dry up, humor is like uh, it sits in a nice place in my heart. It does. And that's the thing too, is like uh, when we lo- when we talk also about loving Jeremy Irons. Yeah, when we talk about loving villains, like we love the one-liners. Yeah. Unless your one-liner is like about burning in the pits of hell, I mean, you're just not going to get any one-liners from Frollo. Though I will say, after Hellfire, <laughs> in like the next scene that he's in, he's like, "Yeah, I had a little bit of trouble with the fireplace." Oh I mean, yeah, hilarious. That's the closest you'll, that's the closest you'll get to a one-liner yeah. for him. <laughs> yeah. Just the trouble with the fireplace, as I was imagining a yeah. beautiful woman <laughs> dancing her way out of it with the tongues yep. of fire and. <laughs> yeah. Gates of hell opening up and being judged by God. Just a little trouble. <laughs> Just a little trouble. <laughs> Just had to anyone. clean out the set. Yep. The flu wasn't working. <laughs> so uh, so as far as Disney parks and merchandise, I'm also like, you know what? His movie is also just isn't going to get watched as often. And that's partially because of his storyline. It's just dark. And the fact that this movie is rated G, I'm confused. Um, that's a kind rating. I was wondering why I'm like, why didn't, as soon as I thought of him, I was like, I have to talk about him. But I'm like, why didn't Frollo like pop into my mind at first? And I think it's because he is mirrors the quote unquote villains that we see in the real world today. And it's just really hard to stomach him. He's racist. He's a misogynist. He's violent and hypocritical, manipulative and a liar. Yeah. And, and and there's no, like we said, there's no element of fun to tamper it. And it's very hard to acknowledge that authority figures or figures of justice, like he is, people that we're meant to trust can be evil. A lot of other Disney villains are outcasts in some way. Not that we identify, but we can feel for them a little bit. They're the outcast. Or when it comes to Yzma, for example, like she has to deal with Kuzco, who's a complete idiot. And we're he's like, yeah, I'd be kind of pissed off too. <laughs> like, he's an idiot. And we all know that feeling of being like, I could do this so much better. With Frollo, there's not a lot to grab onto. Or maybe the thing that we can grab onto is the hardest thing to acknowledge of all is the idea that we could that we are the most tormented by ourselves and our own thoughts and our own feelings of like the deep, dark secrets that we have within ourselves. And, and choosing to identify with that is really 
terrifying. And the fact that there is nothing that makes Frollo evil aside from the hate that he feels towards other people and some that he reserves for himself. That Mm -hmm. like the hate that we could hold in our own hearts and in our own lives could get us to where Frollo is. And like, Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's the reason why he's so underrated and people don't think of him is because it would force them to acknowledge this type of villainy in the real world. And Mm -hmm. it exists. He's the most realistic villain. It exists everywhere. Yeah. It's too close to home. Like Mm -hmm. he, he is a villain that is so close to home that we strip him of villain status because it would, it would crumble a lot of, things foundationally that we rely on mm-hmm. but we need to yeah yeah, like we, yeah, yeah. we need to acknowledge that he is the super villain and this is a super villain that exist. we could walk out our door yep. right now and see on the street mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in the oval mm-hmm. office yeah which you know doesn't 100 percent line up with disney and the fact no. that we can connect to things that are <laughs> fantastical i just i really just have to give them so many claps for this movie in so many different ways. We'll have to talk about this movie so many more times. Yeah. Um, But my final thought and why he truly is the ultimate villain is we are calling him the best villain. <laughs> He's the ultimate villain. He's the ultimate evil villain. Um, number one is for the pure emotional reaction I feel when he's on screen. I feel I, I get I have felt this uncomfortable feeling when I've um, watched villainous characters in like game of thrones let's say where you're like i'm comfortable i'm really uncomfortable um Mm -hmm. there's no other animated character that makes me feel like this besides him and i love and again so many props to disney for going there with this i love the ultimate message that they have sent with frollo which is a bold one to make for anybody in entertainment because you're going to get backlash from religious groups never mind the fact that it's a children's film They really upheld Victor Hugo's original message from the novel, which is that the church, too, can be home to vice. The church is not exempt. And I love that the archdeacon animated film says to Esmeralda, you can't right all the wrongs of this world by yourself. Perhaps there is someone in here who can, meaning God. And so it's just this statement that it's about God and goodness and doing right by our fellow man and treating people with kindness that is over any established authority that we have Mm -hmm. set up in this world and Frollo proves that and I think that is stunning it's beautiful also the parallel of that quote being like perhaps there's someone else in here who can and aside from God there's literally Quasimodo in there who can help her because Quasimodo is also like a face of God yes 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 (sighs) what a great movie what a great movie and they just the stage version is fantastic as well what a beautiful piece of art i can't even if someone had told me ages ago in the 90s if they were like we're gonna make because i've read the novel they were gonna make this novel a disney movie i would be like it's it's impossible it's impossible and they they did it yeah they did it and that's the kind of bravery I, I want to see more of yes. in, in Disney. Like, I want to see them take these, like, I want to see them take more complex yeah. works of literature. And, I do, and, too. And, and translate it. And I feel it. Like, like now We're, we're due for another time. Shakespeare. I was going to say, we're due for another Shakespeare. I've always dreamed about them doing Cyrano de Bergerac, which isn't as dark, of course, but something like that, especially because people our age who grew up with Di- in the Disney Renaissance we're still watching Disney and we have an appetite for things like this. We where's will much make ado? it make where's, money. Where's the much ado Disney film? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When you told me this morning, you were like, I'm switching <laughs> and I'm doing Frollo. And I was like, okay. But you were just so terrified about like how to rave about this type of character. And I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. he's underrated and we can applaud not his actions, but like that we are seeing a character that is yeah. so complex and so yeah. so like us. I really applaud Disney for going there. And I'm, like I said at the beginning, I don't think we would have a lot of the newer villains we have without him. Because I don't no, think anyone would have so. been willing to go there into any other kind of villain besides one that's got magic powers is going to put a spell on you. We're, we're past that. And I think that's largely because of Frollo. 
I'm glad that you traced this from Mother Gothel to Frollo. That like you made that connection because I had like, already started all of my Mother Gothel stuff, and I'm like, yeah, she's the new villain. She's a, a, a psychological manipulator and abuser, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. But no, no, no the OG is Frollo. He started yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. All righty. Well, that was our villain rant and rave. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned, as we always say, on the socials for some quality posts about Frollo, about Hans, about our upcoming trip to Sleepy Hollow. We'll do a little bit of that as well. So we are at Unfortunate Pod on Twitter, and we are at Poor Unfortunate Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And please, if you enjoy what you're hearing, Pop on to the Poor Unfortunate Fam on Facebook because we definitely have some more in-depth discussions there, some healthy debates. Everybody from the last episode gave us some rankings based off of the list that we made in the last episode and shared their favorites, which was super fun. Got to take some of the quizzes that we shared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's just a really fun time and over also, there. If you also, if you have any questions, you're also welcome to email us. We are poorunfortunatepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and then, as we say before... You know, it takes a little bit of money to make sure that this podcast keeps coming to you. So if you like what you're hearing, if you're returning every week, if you're like just discovering this podcast and are like, oh, my God, I need to listen to every single episode. One, thank you for being here. (laughs) Two, that's awesome. And three, if you scroll down the episode description, you'll see that we have a link to our PayPal account where you can make a donation to just help us cover some of the costs of keeping the the show up and running and coming to Mm -hmm. you. Uh, so until next time, Beluga Savruga. Savruga.